welcome to the Top Order Podcast. This is the hangover breakfast. I can't even really say it. So you can tell that there is a real hangover in the building. The hangover breakfast part three. Um, We're going to talk a little bit of Stuart Broad. Better night hawking from him on day three than on day two. We'll talk a little bit about him on a roll as a bowler in Test Cricket. New Zealand batting concerns as well. And a little bit of a preview of what we're going to expect on day four. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Hangover breakfast. So boys, let's just give a little bit of an insight into the podcast before we kick on with the most important part, and that's the cricket. So four days in Papamoa for the Top Order boys. Um, we've had a couple of eclectic shopping trips. I think um, my personal favourite, uh, 10, 10 cans of uh, Canadian Club and Dry, a camping chair and a loaf of bread. Uh, that was the, the first day's shopping. Um, and last night we were in a bar after the test match, lots and lots of cricket fans in there, which was, it was, you know, great to see the mount packed, I think. Um, but we were definitely bringing the average age in that bar up by, I reckon, at least 15 points. And um, I think I realised just how old I was when uh, a thought crept into my head was all I could, all I could think was I've got some nice marmalade at home <laughs> for the morning. Uh, we should probably get out of here. But look, um, that's just a little insight to what we've been up to the last few days. We're off to the cricket, obviously, um, today. And, um, probably not going to see a full day's cricket um, as we've seen over the first three days. But I've got to say, in terms of the three days that we have seen, um, particularly for the neutral board, it must have been, um, you know, fantastic viewing. Three really, really good days cricket. Oh, we've packed five days worth of test cricket into inside three days so far. It's been fantastic viewing. It's been wonderful to watch as a neutral Unfortunately, what we asked for at the beginning of yesterday's play, i.e. coming into today expecting a full day with all three results on, on offer, win each side and a, and a tie, probably not going to eventuate now, you would think, given the position that uh, the Nighthawk has put England in late in, in day three. It's funny, isn't it? Because after that first session, as sort of bananas as that first session was, where England scored 160 runs, there were sixes flying everywhere... New Zealand picked up four wickets and it was uh, England was ahead slightly in the game but it wasn't insurmountable for New Zealand they could have come out and mm. England was six down at that point if they'd come out picked up a few wickets 394 or whatever it turned into could have been 320 and suddenly New Zealand's batting a bit earlier and you think that there's still a game on offer but yeah that middle session I, I think as much as we might come back to that first session and what New Zealand was doing tactically. I think that middle session and Ben Folks in particular, I think, I mean, when you look up and down that 394, it's such a weird scorecard because traditionally you think, okay, 394, someone's gone on and got a big score. But that wasn't the case. Mm. Everyone kind of got starts. And, and, and the key contributions were really Ben Folks and then Ollie Robinson mm. took, took what was, again, if we think back to the first innings, 200 for five, and then, you know, England got away again. Ollie Robinson and Ben Folks put the game beyond doubt with with good batting and, and sensible partnership. Yeah, and look, I'm not sure how deliberate the pace of that was as well, because I think definitely the way that England have batted and even Ben Folks has batted at times, he, he's put the foot down and tried to get somewhere around that, you know, 90 to 100 runs per ball strike rate. But it almost seemed, I, I look, I'd be interested to get your guys' views on this, but it, it almost seemed as if him and... Uh, Robinson knew that they probably needed to bat for 60 minutes um, and get as close as possible to getting England bowling with that new pink ball mm. as close to sort of the you know the lights really taking full effect and that 
period of the game where we know it is going to do a little bit more uh, with the pink ball? Or was that just, you know, the, the way that, that the cookie crumbled? Did New Zealand bowl a little bit better in that period of time? I don't know. But um, yeah, whether well, that was a deliberate well, well, plan. Well, I mean, we talk about it, but, but Ollie Robinson's 39 came at a strike rate above 80. And Ben Folks were striking at 63. So they weren't exactly crawling along, were they? So They weren't crawling along. And I think that's one of the things we've seen through the Test match, right? There's been periods of play where it's kind of felt a little bit quieter. And you look up at the scoreboard, and this is New Zealand as well. We're yeah. still scoring... Um, Scored at fours. Uh, yep. At fours, which, you know, is a, is a good um, and positive rate in, t- in any game of Test cricket um, in the pre-Basball area. So, yeah, but B, uh, what would that be? BB, I suppose, in the, in the cricket's in parlance. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that probably segues nicely to back to that first session because I actually think, I mean, you guys can tell me if, if you disagree, but I think New Zealand bowled reasonably well when they weren't trying to like buy wickets. Mm. I think when they just bowled line and length and bowled areas, they bowled reasonably well and put England under pressure, particularly in that in that part of the uh, the game where Michael Bracewell came on. I thought he bowled really nicely, built some pressure, built some pressure, and then, you know, we just start running in and bowling bounces again, trying to pick up wickets. I, I don't quite understand. I know yesterday I sort of talked about purpose. Like, you've got to have a purpose about what you're doing. And I suppose in that sense, Neil Wagner and Southie clearly had a purpose. I'm going to run in. This is how I'm going to get my wickets. They had a very distinct planned field. We're going to put them here. And they did create a lot of chances. There were, you know, there were catches going just wide of fielders. There were opportunities. But when you play that kind of game, it's a huge risk-reward because, yeah, 160 runs in that session and suddenly New Zealand were were always going to have to bat incredibly well to win that game after that first session and they didn't give themselves the opportunity. I mean, Harry Brook, right, comes in, first ball, he's got everyone on the boundary. The first ball of his innings, he doesn't have, you know, there's no slips. It's, I don't know, it just didn't seem like the right tactics or if they were the right tactics, they sort of felt like they went on for, for far too long. The interesting thing is that Scott Kugelein, the guy who you would think was most naturally um, well disposed to banging it in, actually bowled really well when he was trying to hit the top of off stump. He bowled really good length of those fast bowlers. I thought Blair Tickner mm. had, had good reward for, for for a lot of hard work that he had to do in that innings. He nicked a couple of guys off. You know, He, he got really good, genuine fast bowlers' dismissals. Unfortunately for New Zealand, I, I think Tim Southey went, look, we're going to have to take a gamble here to 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 take these wickets, and if it you know if it, if they get 160 in the first session, well, so be it. And that ended up being w- what happened. But I think I think they probably looked at it, and went, well, let's take a gamble here, and if we can go bangity bang 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 by having a couple of guys hook off to the boundary, then then so be it. But I, I just would have liked to have seen a little bit more two slips in the gully and make England really work for their runs in that first session. They were they were really afforded an opportunity to play into their attacking zones, right? They were afforded short deliveries, which they were good enough to smash to all parts of the ground. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the previous day, doesn't it, where we were sitting there watching Neil Wagner um, slap it around as they went short to him. And I said, you know, to you guys, I wouldn't even try and buy Neil Wagner's wicket for, uh, try saying that quickly, by the way, (laughs) um, for 15 or 20 runs. And uh, New Zealand seemed to want to buy each wicket, Mm. England wicket, and they were prepared that, uh, you know, 50 runs was probably the the going price of a wicket, which you know clearly is going to put you out of the game. Um, when pretty much all of those guys came in and and, and came off for at least a short period of time, particularly um, you know that uh, Harry Harry Brook, Joe Root, Ollie Pope really you know really put the hammer down, didn't they? Yeah, well, look, and it's 
I suppose it is the way that England's playing puts you under that pressure. It puts you, you know, in a, in a mindset where actually if we just run in and bowl good balls, they're going to smash us, which may or may not be true because, I, like I said, I think when they bowled in good areas, tried to hit the top of off stump, England were actually relatively respectful yesterday, but probably because they were getting the, you know, they were getting the balls that they could hit. They were already saying, okay, well, we're going to give you some short balls that you can have a crack at. So when we bowl a good ball, well, we're just going to defend it. And mm. I think England, you know, we talk about that line. I think England did that really well yesterday in terms, you know, they did, obviously a few people did get out sort of trying to whack it. Yeah. But I think in terms of what they actually had to do and the score that they were trying to post, they sort of did it perfectly and turned into, you know, 400 at the end of, or at the end of their innings. The 400 lead was probably exactly what they wanted. Like you said, they're bowling at the exact right time that they wanted in the game. Yeah, I, I don't know. And then... Then obviously things went pretty well for them in that last session. Well, look before we go on to that, I guess you know pink ball test match under lights. England came out to bowl it, as you said, and as we've said, it's the perfect time. As a New Zealand fan, what was you know going into that session? What would have given you that you know headingly nineteen eighty one five hundred to one chance of pulling off something spectacular today? What would have been you know where you would have wanted to be? going into the sheds at the close of play. Well, I think I said to you, both you boys, I, I think we needed to have Conway and, and Williamson both still to come or, you know, at the crease. I, I think as soon as one of those well, as soon as one of those guys went out, just with the way that the batting lineup's been going lately, obviously Blundell, tremendous innings in that first, uh, well, yeah, tremendous knock in that first innings. But I think those two guys are the guys that we sort of bank on as, as New Zealand fans. We think that they're going to, you know, we almost think they're going to score runs every time they walk out to the crease. So, yeah, I was more than one down and I was going to be pretty concerned. And, yeah, obviously the way it played out was was not much fun to watch as a New Zealand fan. Paul D, leading into that session, I won't necessarily ask you the same question, but I do, we do want to segue, I think, and move on to Stuart Broad. Mm. So I think even we said, um, leading into the series, where is he on that pecking order of English seamers? Mm. He missed the Pakistan tour. Um, obviously, but um, you must have had some cold sweats and, and been thinking sort of Trent Bridge, 8 for 15. It, it was that kind of spell from him yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyone better on a roll than him? Not not in world cricket at the moment, no. And anyone, anyone who comes close to Stuart Broad is having a really, really good day. When he gets his tail up, I mean, you, you saw it last night. He hit, he hit, the, he hit the stumps four times. Those, last night line-up bails were just in, flying. In a 10-over spell. It's the first time an England bowler has bowled the top three since Fred Truman in 1960. Wow. Like, that, it was a, was a genuine stat. Genuine stat. That nice. is a genuine stat. So, you know, he, he is, you know, one of those spells that he seems to have every two years. He'll, he'll bowl a spell where he's just irresistible and unplayable. And, you know, he's gone from being the Nighthawk one day to the Sheepdog the next day because he gets New Zealand through the gate. Um, oh, yeah, so oh, very uh, good. My, my morning, my morning what punt. What time in the morning did you come up with that one? Uh, it was very early. I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep well last night. I was you, trying to do maths all oh, night. You, and you, you didn't get that. All the Fred Truman sat in the grumpy mole last night, did you? No, yeah, I did that's not. Research this morning. That was early, early doors research. Look, he he is uh, he is irresistible when he's in that kind of mood. And I actually wonder. I mean, I think um, the Crick Info Press had this in one of their articles that. Um, the, the talk of the Nighthawk and sending him out and, and, in, and sort of creating some chaos around Stuart Broad and getting him involved in this banter 
may have had that kind of impact on his bowling. That may have been the catalyst he he needed because he was flat in 2021. He's been good in 2022, and and now he just looks he just looks reinvigorated. And and maybe it had something to do with going after that world record. Yeah, look, absolutely, we should mention that. So. Obviously, Anderson and Broad going past Warren and McGrath in terms of most sec- successful pairing in Test match bowling. Um, have to say, from a number of Test match perspective, uh, it's not even close. Is it thirty odd Test difference um, in terms of how quickly McGrath and Warren did that? And, and Broad and Anderson are still going. Like they could yeah. play together for another eighteen months, two years. Yeah, who knows? They could end up with you know eleven hundred wickets together as a as a pairing by the time they've both hung up their hat. Yeah, and I don't think it would have taken much encouragement as well last night with, you know, the atmosphere in the ground. It was a lot fuller than it's been uh, for the previous two days. I think, um, you know, consistently full as well, wasn't it? So I think um, people maybe came in after work on Thursday and Friday. Saturday, it was it was buzzing all day, but Broad really got the Barmy Army into the game as well. Mm. Uh, not that they need massive amount of encouragement, but um, yeah, the trumpeter was all over the place, wasn't he? He was, you know... Um, you seek him here, you seek him there. He was sort of, all, you know, both sides of the ground, revving up the the home and the the away crowd. So fantastic atmosphere yeah, at the tre- Bay Oval last tre- night as well. Tremendous atmosphere. I mean, we got to see two world records yesterday as well. Don't forget, Ben Stokes set the world record for most sixes in Test cricket yesterday, which is in itself a little microcosm of this English side that 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 record gets set. And and other than McCullum sort of giving him a, a bit of a wry smile and a clap from the stands, it wasn't wasn't really much spoken about in the aftermatch aftermath of the of the day's play. So yeah, it's it's just like I keep saying, it's you you start to run out of superlatives describing this England side at the moment. Well, guys, let's not get too carried away. We're talking about um, England wrapping this up as a foregone conclusion. A- any hope for, for New Zealand, Lippy? Um, the, the weather, again, looks set pretty fair for today. And then, look, I guess the follow-up to, to this is um, we don't want to sort of prejudge things too much before the conclusion of the game, but have you got any worries for either the short-term lineup from a batting perspective going down to... The base and reserve pretty quickly, and then even a you know a further look forward to you know any changes to that Test match batting lineup, or do you just say do you know what hands up? Um, you've encountered Stuart Broad on a roll under lights with a pink ball. Let, let's move on. I don't think it's hands up. I, I don't think you can quite say that because I you know you look back. This is going to be I think seven Tests in a row now without a win for New Zealand, and it, it's sort of the same kind of things we've been talking about for a little while that. All the little things that we were doing right are, are sort of a lot of little things that we're not quite getting right now. And yes, Stuart Broad bowled really, really well last night. The ball to Kane, I thought, was, was you know, it's a beautiful delivery. It's it's nipped back just enough. I think on the Spark Sport coverage, they, they showed it on the screen where you could kind of see where the actual line of the ball was going, and it was exactly where Kane's bat was. Ball moves slightly inside, beats him through the gate, and that's, and that's all over. But... You know, the, I think Latham will be upset with the way he kind of went. He got bowled. Same with Conway. Conway's was a loose shot. Conway was loose in, in a situation where, you know, he needed to he needed to be there at the end of the day. It's it's the same sort of thing for New Zealand finding that line. We we probably were too negative in that first session. Uh, in that on the on day on the last session on day one, we were thinking we just it's survival mode, and that probably cost us a couple of wickets. Same thing here. Maybe we went out a little bit. You know, Conway found it, thinking I've got to get get some runs and kind of put England back under pressure. And and yeah, I think I've been saying it all along. I think this England style of cricket it messes with people's minds, and it's it's getting, it's sort of encouraging them to then 
try and step over that line themselves. So I think there are concerns. Obviously, we've talked about Henry Nichols. He's looks, he just looks like someone who's out of form. And, I, I, you know, I don't know if they'll make the call in that last test or in that second test to, to leave him out. It's sort of one of those things where you go, well, if we trusted him to play in the first test, you know, two innings, is that enough to then drop him? But, I, th- I th- yeah, I would. I've, I've said that all along. The other guys... They've been, they've been, they've like you're not going to drop Latham, you're not going to drop Williamson, you're not going to drop Conway, Blundell, Mitchell. They've all been in good enough form in recent times to to play. So it's not going to be a, a case of wholesale changes for New Zealand, but they're certainly going to have to turn things around quickly and and put up a better showing. And it's and it's going to be difficult because they, I mean, look, Michael Bracewell hundred aside here, Daryl Mitchell big hundred to kind of get some respectability into this scorecard. We're looking at a heavy defeat here, and and you know there's not a huge turnaround between the next game, and suddenly you're thinking, well, we could get hammered on our on our own turf here, and that's not something New Zealand has been accustomed to in recent times. Uh, it is con- uh, the only thing I would say. It, it is concerning that in both innings, you've four of your top six have scored combined for t- eleven runs in the first innings and ten in the second innings. That's not the that's not a formula for success for New Zealand. It is not, and traditionally the expectation is and New Zealand have been quite consistent in their performances is that their their top six do it do a good job at home you know Latham whoever it is Conway Williamson whoever none of those guys have have really stood up other than Conway in the first innings and you know they they were outdone by a class bowling act last night let's let's not put you know any any two ways about it but they would expect more from themselves as a batting unit when you compare it to England's second innings where other than the Nighthawk everybody got past 25 in the top eight pretty much you know like that's the and they didn't really look in too much trouble and that, that's the thing the New Zealand batters did look in, in difficulty and I mean again I think that goes back to sort of the difference in the bowling attacks at least in, at least up front in terms of the kind of bowlers that they've had which we've harped on about for the all these all these three mm. uh, hangover breakfasts so far and, and I think some of that will slightly change hopefully Matt Henry will be back into the side for for New Zealand and that will certainly help in terms of you know what we can offer up front and, and give some support to Saudi but mm. yeah it's it's looking pretty grim for for New Zealand fans as we go into day four well, I think that's a pretty good time to to leave um, the podcast not Lippy being completely dejected of course <laughs> but um off to the ground in a couple of hours time we'll have a yeah hopefully have a nice uh, feed on the way and I'm looking forward hopefully to seeing Ben folks up to the stumps again for a little bit today that was you did enjoy that that was electric last night for me but um, yeah looking forward to the day's uh, day's play as long as it uh, as long as it lasts of course Um, and we'll of course be back in your podcast feed with plenty more cricketing chat news views and interviews um, over the coming days and weeks but for now it's good morning from Papamoa we'll see you later